Welcome to the Heartland Free Church Sermon Podcast. We are so happy to have you joining us today. If you are a first-time listener or first-time visitor here at the church, we would love to get connected with you. You can click that link in the podcast summary. That is our online connection card. If you'd just like to learn more about us as a church, you can visit heartlandfree.com or you can download the Heartland app in whatever app store you prefer. Thank you again for joining us. We've got a fantastic message for you this morning, and we will be getting into that right now. In 1776, Thomas Jefferson penned these words in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet at the very moment Jefferson penned these words, women could not vote, married women couldn't own property, and worst of all, over the course of his life, Jefferson enslaved over 600 human beings, all of which are contrary to what he professed to believe. Now to be fair in the declaration, Jefferson is casting the vision of what should be the ideal equal rights equal treatment under the law, which is a noble pursuit. And the U.S. has probably done as good a job as any country at any time at upholding those values, those virtues. And yet, I want to call your attention to the fact today that we are not really created equal, okay? Think about that for a moment. In fact, I think it is far from it that we are created equal. For the moment you take your first breath, you are completely unique. You have a wide variety of advantages and disadvantages as compared to others. I can think of at least a dozen inequalities that immediately distinguish you from everyone else first your nationality. Are there advantages to being an American? I think there are. I'm glad we live here. Praise God. How about your ethnicity? Are there special challenges you will face if you're a minority in any given culture? Absolutely. How about your appearance? Would you have liked to have been born into a culture where a few extra pounds is seen as attractive? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Or your athletic ability. Oh, how I wanted to dunk the basketball, but there was one problem. I had no ups. (laughs) You know, I needed another three, four inches on my vertical. How about finances? Like being born a Rockefeller, you know? Now, there's some advantages. There's also some disadvantages to that. How about being alive at a certain period of history? Historicity. You know, Shaquille O'Neal, at any other time in history, would be a freak of nature. (laughs) But he happened to be born at a time when his size and prowess as a basketball player are highly prized by our culture. How about your parents? You didn't get to choose them, did you? And you know what? They didn't choose you either. (laughs) God had something to do with that. How about your religion? Is it harder to become a Christian if you're raised in a Muslim culture? Undoubtedly it is. How about your IQ? 
or your aptitude for various skills. My poor wife over here, she had to get married to a guy who can't fix anything. <laughs> you know, how about your length of life? which is largely genetic. Now, we have a few things that we can do, you know, smoking and drinking, diet and exercise and those things, you know, they do have an effect on that. But it's still, at the end of the day, is largely genetic how long you will live and the quality of health that you will have. How about your gender? Contrary to popular opinion, that is not a choice you make. It's a choice that God makes. And every chromosome in your body testifies to that. The bottom line is, folks, you are absolutely unique. Every cell in your body is different from the person sitting next to you and even identical twins who share so many genetic similarities still have significant differences. Like it or not, these differences manifest themselves in a wide variety of advantages and disadvantages. There probably isn't a person here today who is not at some time did what this young lady is doing here, looking into a mirror and protesting to God. <laughs> and the Bible says, Romans 9, 20, but who are you to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Certainly you can be sure of this. God makes no mistakes. The Bible says, Psalm 139, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. God does not make junk. In fact, you are his masterpiece. You are the crown of his creation, and he created you for a purpose. He has a plan for your life, and that is the theme of our scripture passage today. Matthew 25, 14 to 30, commonly called the parable of the talents. There are four lessons Jesus has for us in this parable. The first is this, your responsibility your responsibility. Verse 14 says again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. And to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. It was common during the time of Christ for a wealthy person to have an abundance of household servants. Now, obviously, they, as us, had a wide range of skills and abilities and talents and giftedness. When the wealthy man left town for any length of time, he would place certain servants in charge. Now, the man, the men in Jesus' parable, the man in Jesus' parable had three trusted servants. Now, that tells us that Jesus' story is about those who appear to be loyal to him. In other words, Jesus is referring here to professing believers, those who claim to be followers of his. These three servants are each entrusted with specific responsibilities. One is given five talents, 
The word that Jesus uses refers to a certain weight of money. A talent of gold was extremely valuable. A talent of silver, less so. Talent of copper, even less than that. Bible scholars agree that the monetary value really is irrelevant. Rather, Jesus is emphasizing accountability for the differing levels of responsibility that he blesses each of his servants with. We are all given different assignments by our maker. Consider, for instance, the assignment that Johnny Erickson Tata has been given. She was born into a wonderful Christian family. Her father was a wrestler on the 1932 U.S. Olympic team. Like her parents, Johnny lived a very active life all through her growing up years, riding horses, hiking, playing tennis, swimming. But it all came to an abrupt end on July 30th, 1967. As a 17-year-old teenager, Johnny dove into Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. She suffered a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae and was paralyzed from the shoulders down. You know what could happen to any of us, right? <laughs> Did you do any things that were foolish as a youngster? <laughs> During Johnny's two years of rehab, she struggled with anger and depression and suicidal thoughts and religious doubts. Why did God allow this? But she also learned how to paint with a brush between her teeth. She began selling her artwork. She learned to write the same way, although now she writes using voice recognition software and friends to date. She has written 48 books, 48 books. She's recorded several musical albums. She starred in an autobiographical movie of her life, all the while traveling all over the country, being an advocate for people with disabilities. Friends, she's lived an amazing life of service to our Lord's kingdom. But she drew a tough assignment, didn't she? I'm sure none of us would trade places with her. Although she probably didn't realize it at the time of her accident, Johnny had been given five talents, full range of talents, exceptional gifts, and she has used them. Today she's 71 years old. Satan repeatedly tries to trip us up, doesn't he? He's tried to trip up Johnny. He tried to discourage her, tried to convince her that she was of no worth to the kingdom of heaven. And yet through it all, she has faithfully given to our Lord a good return on the investment of giftedness that God placed within her. How about you? Each of us here today have been blessed by God with a certain level of giftedness. Some of us, like Johnny, have been given five talents. Others of us are more in the mid-range, given two talents. 
Others of us have been given a single talent. You know what the first obstacle is? The first obstacle we face is envy and jealousy, isn't it? Why can't I sing like Christine and write songs like that? See? Why can't I share my faith like so-and-so? Why can't I do better at school? Why is it so hard for me? Several years ago, our youth group was up at Camp Shaman at a retreat. Took 30, 40 kids up there. They had a fabulous weekend. A couple days later, our youth pastor, Mark Roloffs, comes into my office. He says to me, he says, Denny, you know, I go to these retreats and I see all these other youth pastors and they're with their youth, youth groups. And Denny, he said, they're funnier than I am. And, and, and they're, they're better speakers than me. And they, they have more charisma than me. They're more talented than me. And I go away, I feel so inadequate. Friends, have you ever felt that way? Hmm? Pastor Mark couldn't see it that day. God was using him in extraordinary ways. He still, we look back at his tenure of ministry here, he made a tremendous impact on the Heartland area. In fact, when I think of all of the people that I've had the joy of working with over the years, I can't think of anyone that manifested the fruit of the Spirit better than Mark Roloff's. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Those of you that remember Mark, you know that was Mark Roloff's. He, he, uh, he was loving on kids, encouraging kids, building up kids in the faith, and uh, served here five years, led a, left an amazing legacy of faithfulness. You know what, friends? We all have different gifts. We all have different talents and abilities. But we do have an enemy too, don't we? We have an enemy who seeks to discourage us. You know, no one likes me. You know, remember my kids my, were in school, my daughters, and they'd come home and say, Dad, nobody likes me. Well, you find out that one person told them something, you know, that day that was a bit negative. It's one person doesn't like you, not nobody likes me. Okay, you know, but we're the same way, aren't we? Hear one negative comment, and it's so easy to say, you know, I'm not good at anything. Now you might have found one thing, one thing that you're not good at. <laughs> but it doesn't mean you're not good at anything. I, I, I blew it. You hear that a lot. I, you know, I had my chance, but I blew it. Pastor Denny's blowing it a lot too. <laughs> What do you got to do? You got to get back on the horse and keep riding, right? Yeah, we do. We are human beings. We will make mistakes. We will err. Uh, there's been times I've woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm think thinking to myself, why did I say that? <laughs> Have you ever done that? Why did I do that? Okay? We all do that. Oh, boy, some like Johnny. <laughs> Man you got enormous obstacles to overcome. And, you know, you have to face that. There are some times where we have obstacles. But the Bible assures us of this. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Praise God. Do you believe that? Now let's move to the second lesson in making your life count. Your reaction. Your reaction to what God has given you. Now let's pick up the story that Jesus tells here in verse 16. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. <clears throat> the key question for all of us is this. What will you do with the talents that God has given you? In the story Jesus told, the man with five talents put his money to work. The word that Jesus uses means that he went about doing business. He went about trading. He, he went about earning his labor, earning things by doing labor. The same is true of the man with two talents. He was industrious. He was a hard worker. He maximized the opportunities that were given to him. But the third man that was only given one talent, what did he do? He dug a hole in the ground. And he hid his master's money. And he was lazy. And he wasted any opportunities that he was given. Friends, I ask, what about you? What will you do with what God has given you? A few weeks ago, my mother died at the age of 94. Here she is with my dad on her wedding day, right after the wedding, getting ready to take off for the honeymoon. At her funeral, I referenced this parable, the parable of the talents. And I talked about how my mom took the gifts that God had entrusted to her and carefully invested them and kept on investing them her entire life. She grew up in Western, Minnesota, Western North Dakota on a potato farm. They had nothing of material value. Believe me, they barely were able to eke out enough to eat. When she moved to Minneapolis after graduating from high school, she had an opportunity to attend Trinity Bible College, and she took it, attended two years. As a young man, as a young woman, she also worked at offices all over the Twin Cities, and she gained the skills that enabled her to later run our bus business for 20 years after my father passed away. When she got married and started having kids, she was all in as a mom. The title of my funeral message was, Everything I Know About God, I Learned From My Mother. <laughs> I have a message today for all the moms out there, and it is simply this. Don't you ever say, I'm just a mom. Amen. Don't ever say that. You aren't just a mom. You are building the next generation. That's what you're doing. And nothing's more important than that. When me and my siblings left the nest, mom started in on the next generation, her eight grandkids. 
and later the generation after that, or 11 great-grandkids. In her spare time, she led countless ministries at church, countless neighborhood Bible studies. Even into the last years of her life, she shared Christ with her caregivers because she had lost her sight. Mom would ask her caregivers to read the Bible for her for doing her devotions every morning. And then they would talk about what they read. And then they'd pray, and she'd ask her caregivers to pray with her. And the longer she lived, the more mom became a prayer warrior. And every time she prayed, Satan would scurry for cover. Friends, don't ever say, I'm too old. <laughs> as long as you have breath, God has a mission for you. Mom's prayers were truly the wind beneath my wings. The question all of us who profess Christ must ask ourselves is, what are you doing with what God has given you? We haven't all been given five talents. Some of us are two-talent Christians. Some of us are single-talent Christians. And yet all of us, <laughs> when you really think about it, we're all pretty small potatoes in the big scheme of things, are we not? Sort of reminds me of the story of an elephant and a mouse, and they were walking together one day, and they came to a rickety old bridge. And as they set foot on the bridge, it rumbled and shook and thundered, causing quite a disturbance. Once they were safely across to the other side, the mouse turned to the elephant and proudly said, boy, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> I love that story, folks, because it illustrates a very important lesson, doesn't it? When you truly walk with Jesus, you're going to see some bridges, bridges shaking. You really are. But if you're not careful, you'll make the same mistake that little mouse made in taking credit for an impact he had very little to do with. As Jesus reminded us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now this brings us to the third lesson Jesus has for us in the parable of the talents. Your reckoning. There will be a future time when the accounts are settled. Verse 19, the story continues. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent 
in the ground. Verse 19, Jesus drops yet another hint that his return would be a long time in coming. In the story, Jesus says, after a long time, the master returned. To date, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said those words. But he wants us to know this. When he does return, he's going to settle accounts with everyone who professes to know him. Now, the good news is this. Jesus expects us during this time to be productive, to make the most of what he has given us. You know, we don't want to be like the followers of Baptist preacher William Miller, who predicted that Jesus would return on October 22nd, 1844. Now, here's a cartoon and they're, they're mocking Mr. Miller and his followers. You see, on that day, October 22nd, tens of thousands from all over the state of Massachusetts, they donned white robes, they climbed mountains, they climbed trees in order to speed their ascension up to heaven. Leading up to that day, many had given away their belongings, some had abandoned their crops. A few even sold their land and their animals. Needless to say, the Lord didn't return on that day. Pastor Miller must have skipped over the parable of the talents in his Bible reading. Because you know what? God does not want us to prepare for his return by selling our stuff and buying a robe and sitting on top of a mountain waiting for him to come back. Rather, God wants us to be productive. To be productive, God wants us to work hard for the kingdom. Jesus said, John 9, verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. There will be a day of reckoning for all of us. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. In a day and age when people don't want to hear anything about judging, I find it fascinating that the New Testament alone refers to the concept of judgment 281 times. <laughs> I asked my brother one time, he was attending a seeker-friendly church for a while, I said, when's the last time the preacher talked about judgment? He said, I can't remember. I said, well, <laughs> uh, it, it's all over the Bible. You know, we can't just talk about the positive. There are negative things, and they're there for our good. That 281 times, by the way, is just the Greek word krino, and it's various cognates. There are other words that refer to judgment as well. Now, make no mistake about it. There's going to be a final day of reckoning, and it's going to be for all of us. Now, the good news is this. For the believer, we will not be judged for our sin. Boy, isn't that good to know? You know why? Christ has already been judged for us. Paid the price for our sin. But get this. We will be judged on our productivity. What we have done with what God has given us. I agree with Pastor Erwin Lutzer, 
who says in his book, your eternal reward. Now, if you look carefully there, you will see triumph and tears at the judgment seat of Christ. Will there be tears in heaven? I believe there will be. Why? Because some will regret that they have wasted their lives. Thank God the Bible says God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It says that in Revelation, by the way, and uh, that's another indication that he's going to wipe every tear. So apparently there are some tears in heaven. Otherwise, he wouldn't be wiping away. So now if you're like me, I can easily get consumed by the mundane, the trivial concerns of life. I need God's help to keep the kingdom the main thing so that I have no regrets when I pass. Now, if you've ever played sports, you probably heard your coach say, leave it all on the court. No coulda, shoulda, woulda. Leave it all on the court. And we need to take that same attitude into our walk with Jesus. Praise God. Let's move to the fourth lesson Jesus has for us. Your reward or your lack thereof. Your lack thereof. We pick up the story in verse 26 which concerns the guy who dug a hole and buried his talent. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has 10 talents, And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, I will never forget the very first funeral I did as a pastor. I was doing my internship in my home church in the Motley area in central Minnesota. I just turned 23 years old. And there was a neighbor of our family, a longtime customer at our family gas station. I had uh, cleaned his windshields many, many times. And he was dying of cancer. And he had no church home. I faithfully visited old Harry as his death drew near. I tried everything I could to share the love of God with him. But every time I mentioned God, his face would frown, his forehead would wrinkle up, and he would shake his head from side to side. And then sadly, he died. Years earlier, my grandpa had told me the story of Harry and his dear wife. Their daughter, beautiful young lady, died in a tragic car accident, and they turned sour on anything to do with God. Their attitude toward God was exactly as described of the third servant in verse 24. Master, I knew that you were a hard man. God, you are a hard man. 
harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. That was Harry. Harry was bitter at God. God, you gave me this beautiful daughter, and then you took her from me. And like the third servant, Harry blamed God for being hard and cruel and unfair. To this day, Harry's funeral was the saddest funeral I have ever done because I could not erase that last time I saw him clenching his teeth, shaking his head, refusing to give even a tacit acknowledgement of his maker. Friends, don't let your heart get hard toward God. I close with this. On May 4th, 2019, the most polarizing woman in evangelicalism died. At least that's how Washington Post described Rachel Held Evans. Died at 37 years of age. Only a couple weeks before she passed away, Rachel had sought medical treatment for what they thought was some minor issues, flu, urinary tract infection. But she ended up being hospitalized after having a serious reaction to the antibiotics. When her condition, condition continued to worsen, they put her in a medically induced coma. On May 2nd, it was announced that she had severe swelling of the brain. Two days later, she was dead. She left behind a young husband and two small children. So, so sad. But it doesn't come close to what is the most tragic thing about her death. You see, that is the fact that Rachel had walked away from her childhood faith. She had led countless others away from Jesus. She wrote this book right here, Faith Unraveled. In the four books she published, she outlined how she had abandoned her evangelical Bible-believing roots and was encouraging, campaigning for others to do likewise. Instead of holding to the truth, Rachel's views on marriage, sexuality, abortion, and feminism are all at direct odds with the plain truth of Scripture. Now, friends, only God knows where she's at right now. We should wish her no will, ill will. Her, fate, her death is a tragedy any way you look at it. We should rightly grieve with her young husband and her two small children who are left behind. And yet, I cannot help but think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, 6 and 7, when he says this, and friends, I think of all of us who will be teaching this coming year in Awana, in, in Sunday school, and in youth ministry, and all of the other ministries that, that go under the Heartland banner. And friends, this is for us. When Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea 
Woe to the world because of the things that curse people, cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the one through whom they come. No one knows when their time is up. That's why our daily prayer should be, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.